Thank you, Steve, for a really good time of worship this morning. And I'm glad that you, you folks are here at the 11 o'clock service. We had so many in the early service today. I tried to figure out why, and I think it's because they had an extra hour last night. But uh, we had so many here in the early service, I was afraid we wouldn't have anybody in this service. So I'm just glad that you're here and pray that God will continue to bless you. It's been a good time of worship. I pray that God will continue to bless you. My text is found in John chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 16. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. And I want to say before I read this text with you that uh, if you have your Bible, by the way, I hope you will, will uh, follow me in your Bible. If not, you can follow us on the screen up here. Uh, there are three stories about storms that Jesus was involved with on the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. There were, there were three stories. One we studied a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't expect you to uh, remember that, but one we studied a few weeks ago when the storm was so bad and, and Jesus got up and said, peace, be still, and the storm became still. This is a different story. It's a story about a storm at sea, and, and it's not unusual. In three years, all the time that Jesus spent in that area, it's not unusual that he would have been involved in three different storms. But this is the second of those storms, and the whole point of this story is quite different from the point of the story that we studied before. So keep that in your mind as we take a look at, uh, at this story. Beginning John, uh, Gospel of John, beginning with verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. They were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, please. Thank you, Father, for the time of worship. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, all of us are different. We've got different situations going on in our lives, different things we are facing and struggling with and all of that right now. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our needs during this time of looking into your word. And I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A man, a fellow pastor, got a call one day. He his daughter was in the first grade, and they lived only four, four blocks away from the school. She would walk home every day. And he got a call one day, and on the way home, uh, a man had accosted his daughter and uh, sought to abuse her. Uh, he went to, the, went to the police station, and police treated his daughter very well and all, went to the police station. And as the police, uh, policeman explained to him what had happened and all of this, he began to get madder and madder, more and more mad as he explained all this to him. And he took, the, he took the, the figure that they had drawn up of this fella that had attacked his daughter, took the, took the figure and drove up and down the streets of the town looking for him. And he was angry. And if he'd have found that guy who was going to do the very least, beat him up, you know, the, the, the very audacity of some creep to come along and, and do something that might well destroy the life of his daughter. He was so angry, he drove up and down those streets looking for this guy. And if he'd have caught him, there's no telling what he would have done, but he knew for sure he would have beat him up. 
And uh, that night as he went, went home and thought about what he'd done all day, he got to thinking finally about how it would look in the newspaper. You know, pastor of local church beats up guy, you know, uh, perhaps even worse than beats up guy, you know. And he began, to, he began to worry about how it would look. And so the next day he went to the office and began to pray that God would help him deal with this issue. And so he prayed, God, help me to forgive. But he didn't want to forgive. He could not pray that honestly. Just flat could not pray that honestly. And so he'd read somewhere that if you, if, if, if you can't forgive, you can ask God to help you be willing to forgive. And so he tried to pray, God, help me to be willing to forgive. But he couldn't pray that honestly either because he didn't want to be willing to forgive. And then he'd read somewhere or heard a message somewhere or something that sometimes you can ask God to make you be willing to be made willing. And he tried to pray, Lord, can I, will you make me willing to be, but the truth is, he didn't want to be made willing. He was angry. And the audacity of this, this creep to come in and abuse his daughter just was overwhelming to him. And at that point, there weren't any more, he had, hadn't heard any more messages. He hadn't read anything else about what to do next. And he did not know what to do next. And so, in true humility, he went to his office and he knelt down on his knees and he prayed, God, please come into this situation and help me. And that's when his, his healing began. God, please come into this situation and help me. And that was the healing, the beginning of the, of the healing of what was going on within him. Now, I want you to know this didn't happen all in one day. This happened over a series of many days. And even the prayer, God, help me, uh, come into my situation and help me, was, was over several days, uh, uh, more than a week, maybe 10 days, two weeks. He prayed this. But God began to move into his situation and begin the healing process within. Not long after that, a, a, a friend of, of our personal friend of both of us, him, himself and me, was a pastor in San Francisco. And this guy was a, an inner city missionary. And he worked in San Francisco in inner city work and pastored a church there, but he did much more in the community than just pastor that church. And one of the things he did was he walked the streets on Friday nights. They had different pastors that would walk the streets in the tenderloin of, of San Francisco just walk the streets to help people that might, might turn up uh, and want some. And he wore a collar. It's not usual for a Baptist to wear a collar, but he wore a pastor's collar because he wanted people to know he was a pastor in case they needed a pastor and wanted to reach out. And he would walk the streets on. For Friday night was his night. He walked the streets on Friday night. That was part of the ministry. And he became well-known in, in San Francisco and even, even became Mr. Baptist. He, he, so, so many people respected him for the work they'd done that when they wanted to know something about the Baptist, they would always go to him and, and talk to him. One day he was out working in his garden, picked out a flower out of his garden, took it inside into the kitchen of his home, gave it to his wife and told her that he loved her. And she said, I'm leaving you. I've fallen in love with somebody else and I'm leaving you. And he couldn't preach. For seven weeks he couldn't preach. He had an, had an associate that preached for him. He, he couldn't even preach. He was grieving and struggling so much with this situation. 
And this other friend who'd gone through this other thing heard about this and went to him and told him, what you must do is you must ask the Lord to come into your situation and help you. And, uh, and he began to do that. As he began to do that, he began to find his own healing from that situation. Later on, he went to, as an inner city missionary to Oklahoma City. And pastor of a church at Oklahoma City did the same kind of inner city missionary. Found a, a wonderful new wife who would be a part of the ministry as much as he was and, and go forward in his life. But he will tell you the beginning of his healing came when he began to ask Jesus Christ to come into his situation. Now the point of our story today, the reason I tell you those two stories, is the point of our story is the first thing we must do when we're struggling, the storm in our life, I don't care what kind of storm it is, the first thing we must do when we're struggling to, with a storm in our life is we must get Christ into the boat with us. That's the first thing that must happen. We must get the Lord into the boat with us. And this is something that uh, people have learned through the years. It's very much a part of, of uh, the AA movement. As I've told you before, in our church in El Paso, we had a Christian AA ministry that we had. And, and um, I learned a lot about the 12-step ministry. And it's really interesting. The first, I, I want to read to you the first three steps of the 12-step ministry. The first step is this. We admitted that we were powerless over the effects of our separation from God, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's number one. That's the first step. Number two, we came to believe that God, and by the way, uh, in the 12-step uh, nowadays, they, they, they don't use the term God, if you, if you have any connection with that. They say a power greater than us. You know, that, that's what they use. But I want to remind you this morning that the AA movement began in a Christian situation. Two men and a Christian pastor uh, began the AA movement. And in those terms they used, uh, in those days they used uh, absolute biblical and Christian terminology talking about this. And so I'm using that kind of terminology with you, uh, with you today. They came to believe that God could restore us to sanity. And number three, they made a, de a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. These three steps, the first three steps, is just exactly what I'm talking to you about from this story. The first thing you must do when you're facing a, a problem, all kinds of problems we have. Some of those are addictions, all kinds of addictions. That, that uh, And by the way, I've been a pastor over 50 years. I can tell you right now, church people have addictions. And we must deal with the, the, the problems of our lives. And so many times we don't tell other people about them and everything like that. We don't want to mention it to anyone at all, but we struggle. Inwardly, we struggle with these problems that we have, whatever they may be. Other, there are other kind of problems, marital problems, family problems, uh, problems with uh, maybe we've lost a loved one, problems with grief, uh, problems with our job, losing our job, and all kinds of problems that we deal with. And, and, and in these situations, what we normally want to do is we want to continue and work and do everything we can to overcome our problem. And if we have tried everything else in the world, then we'll turn to God. That's not the idea. The first thing we should do is get God into the boat with us. The very first thing we must do is learn to get God into the boat with us. And as we do that, we can begin the healing process within us 
And yes, God can make a difference. And God will make a difference if we will invite him into, into our situation, into the situation we have. I've talked about these individual, two individual stories, which are true stories, by the way. Talked about these two individual stories. But I could tell you that, that we also need to get God in our boat in other ways. I believe here at First Baptist Church Clifton, if you'll allow me to speak from the heart to you just for a moment, I believe here at First Baptist Church Clifton, we need to be sure we have invited God into our boat here right now. I've told you before, I think after having a loving pastor who loved people and cared for them, held his congregation together by his, by his loving acts and his pastoral acts, and he's not with us anymore. He's around and he's helping, but he's not with us in, in the church anymore. I think, I think the church is in a vulnerable position. And we don't need to go about saying, well, we're going to take care of everything. We're going to take care of everything ourselves. What we need to do is we need to start by asking God to get into the boat with us. Asking God to get in a boat and make a difference with us in our lives. Here in our United States, we need God to get in the boat with us. It was Anne Graham Lotz, that, uh, Billy Graham's daughter, that said, you know, we wonder why God's not involved in the United States when we've tried our best to put him out of everything in the world. We've done our best to put him out of everything in the world. Then we wonder why he's not involved in what's going on. And what we need to do in our country, in our country, what we need to do is we need to ask God to get into the boat with us here in our country. Help us make a difference here in our country. We're going through this, this COVID-19 thing and it's just, it's horrible. We're all frustrated. Everybody I know is frustrated over it. They're frustrated over one thing or another, but it's all got to do with the, the, the COVID-19 and all that's involved with that. Everybody I know is frustrated. I'm frustrated over it. You're frustrated over it. We're all frustrated over it. And folks, it's not getting any better. I don't know if you read the paper today, but I want to tell you today that October was the worst month of COVID-19 deaths in the United States that we've ever had. And it's the worst month over there in McLennan County we've ever had. You know, we think, we think well, uh, we're in this situation. We're trying to do everything we can to make a difference. Don't you think maybe it's time we invited God to get into this situation with us and make a difference in that particular way? The point of the story is, when we're struggling, we've got to get God into the boat with us. Now look with me at the scripture just for a moment, if you will. It's in the evening that they went down, and they went across there, and they, there was a, uh, this, this uh, uh, Gospel of John, verse 18, says a strong wind was blowing. Uh, the same story in Mark chapter 6, verse 58, says the wind was against them. And in, in Matthew 14, 24, they were buffeted by the winds. They were having a problem with the winds. They were, having a, they were struggling with the storm out there. And then in the midst of the storm, when they had rowed about three or four miles, that meant they were about, probably about two-thirds of the way across the lake. When they had, when they had rowed about uh, uh, three or four miles, they saw Jesus. It's dark, and we got this storm going on, and they see this guy come walking to them on the water. And they were, what would you, what would you feel? Here in the middle of this storm, here's this guy walking on the water, coming toward, you know, they were afraid. They were frightened. Well, certainly they were frightened. You and I would be frightened as well. As we look to see what the world is going on here. But Jesus was in the process of doing what only God could do. And so he's walking on, the, even in the storm, he's walking on the water and, and coming toward them. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture here. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, 
I want to talk to you just a moment about the Greek. My wife said, don't ever tell people what the Greek says. You know, people don't not interested in the Greek. Well, I'm going to tell you about the Greek now anyway, so listen. The terminology in the Greek is the words ego eimi. And those words mean and are translated elsewhere, elsewhere as I am. And it could be that he's saying it's I, just like many of the translators think he's saying. But it also could be that he's saying I am. And what does that mean when he says I am? Well, if we go back to Exodus chapter 3, uh, you know, when Moses asked him to give his name, what did God tell Moses his name was? He said, my name is I am. That's my name. And then over in John, this very chapter of John, chapter 8, verse 58, in a discussion with, with those who were opposed to him, uh, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. That's exactly what he said. And they understood that he was saying, I'm God, because they took up stones to throw him. They thought, it, they thought he was, he was uh, claiming to be God when he wasn't. They took up stones to throw him at that point. They understood what he was talking about. And so Jesus comes on that night, and he says, I am. I am the Lord. I am the Savior. I am God. I'm what you need. Don't be afraid. I'm the one that can make a difference. I am, he says. And so it says, uh, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached, reached the shore. I personally don't think that word immediately is a word some, some, some versions would say quickly. And uh, I personally think they had to continue rowing. I don't think somehow they just, you know, magically zip to the shore, you know. I think they had to keep rowing. But what happened was, when Jesus got into the boat, there wasn't any question they were going to get to the shore. They got Jesus in the boat. There wasn't any question they were going to get to the shore. And this is what, this is the lesson we must learn. Whatever we're struggling with today, in our church, in our country, in our own personal lives, in our marriages, our jobs, whatever it is we're struggling with, our families, whatever it is we're struggling with, we need to understand that the first thing we must do is get Jesus in. That's the beginning step of healing, is getting Jesus into the boat with us. Now, I want to make a couple of points with you. Um, they were alone, in the dark, struggling. Alone, in the dark, struggling. I was reminded a little bit of the story about the little boy, and his mother told him to go out to the garage and get the broom. He went to the back door, and it was dark outside, and he was afraid of the dark. He says, Mom, I'm scared. Uh, it's dark out there. I'm, I'm afraid of the dark. You know I'm afraid of the dark. She said, don't worry. The Lord will be with you. You go ahead. He went out, and he tried again. Came back and said, Mom, I just can't do it. I'm scared. That's a, the Lord will be with you. You don't, need to, you don't need to worry. Jesus will be with you. And so he went to the back door, and he opened the door, and he said, Jesus, if you're out there, would you hand me the broom? I'm scared of the dark. Now, see, that's exactly what we want. We want to pray, and we want Jesus to get up and take care of the problem. We want him to stand up and say, peace be still, the storms all go. But that does not happen here. I want you to realize in this particular story, the storm never does stop. Don't miss the point of the story. The storm never does stop. What happens is, Jesus gets in the boat with them and they got through the storm and they got to the shore 
and they got where they were going, and they did it because Jesus was in the boat with them. That's the point. Now, let me read a couple of passages to you that you know well. The first from the 43rd of Isaiah. You know, this is a wonderful passage, and you all know this passage. Many of you probably could quote it. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He does not say, I'll stop that from happening. He doesn't say, you won't have to pass through the waters. You won't have to pass through the rivers. You won't have to pass through the fires. He says, when you do that, I will be with you. That's the key. That's what we need to understand. Over, over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, Paul talking about in his defense uh, of his life there in Rome. He said, beginning with uh, verse 16 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord stood with me, he said. And we know from history that Paul actually died while he was there. He never got out of prison. He actually died while he was there in prison. You see, in this particular story, it's not about God causing the storm to cease and everything be peaceful. That may be what we want, but that's not what this story is about. This story is about asking the Lord to get in the boat with us so that we can get through the storm that we need to get through and get where we're going so that, we can, so that he can be with us to help us as we struggle and so we can get there where we're going. That he will be with us. That he'll be in the boat with us. The second point that I would make with you is that, that Jesus comes to us when we're in the storm. If, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think sometimes even for people who do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes to us in the storm and he's there. And we must decide whether or not we will invite him into our boat with us. Matthew Henry, the great old preacher, old, old uh, theologian and preacher, Matthew Henry says, Christ will not leave you comfortless in the storm. He will come to you. One of my colleagues at the seminary was, is, is a, a man that's so, so well-beloved. Hewlett Glore is his name. And he's so well-beloved that it's just incredible. He's retired now. Several years ago, he had a stroke. He was a diabetic. He had a stroke and went through this terrible thing. And he, he was paralyzed on one side and never completely healed. Never he healed just a little bit, but never completely healed from this stroke on the side. Such an amazing person that even the very week that he had the stroke, he had all of his class come to the hospital and he tried to teach his class there in the hospital. Beloved, beloved man, a beloved preacher. He preached for several years. Sometimes, sometimes even when he would preach, they'd have to wheel him up in a wheelchair and he'd get up to the pulpit and preach. But he preached wonderful sermons. He was just a wonderful man, a wonderful preacher. And, just a wonderful, and I remember one night, one day when he gave his testimony, he says, in the night when I had my stroke, 
He said, in my dark night of the soul, he used the terminology of St. John of the Cross, in my dark night of the soul, God was with me. God was with me. And he would stand and preach. He's retired now. He's gotten worse and worse. But such a wonderful man. And he knew what it was to go through that dark night of the soul. And he knew what it was to have God with him. The third point that I would make is that we're often afraid to invite Jesus into our boat. It says they were afraid, and we can take a lot from that. But what I get from that is they looked at him and they said, wow, this guy does things that only God could do, and he says he's God. We're afraid. Why would we be afraid? Because when Jesus gets into our boat, he comes in as Lord. He comes in as Lord. He won't come any other way. He comes in as Lord. And we're afraid of what might happen if, if we invite Jesus. I, I cannot tell you how many people that I've talked to about becoming Christians, and they say, you know, I'm so afraid to become a Christian. I'm so afraid to ask the Lord to come into my life because I'm, I'm afraid he's going to ask me to do things I don't want to do. I'm afraid he's going to ask me to not do things I want to do. That can happen even in the church. I want to remind you that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, when, when Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and have fellowship with them and they with me. I want to remind you, he was standing outside a church door. Church that was lukewarm. He was standing outside a church door saying, Please let me in. Please invite me in. And you know, I had a friend that was a pastor. I was sitting at a, a preacher's conference next to him, and the uh, preacher up, up on the podium was talking about, about, you know, having Jesus be Lord of your church. And my friend turned to me and said, I'm afraid to ask Jesus to be Lord of my church. Why? Because you see, if Jesus comes as Lord, I may not have the control I had before. Because you see, we give him the lordship. He's the one in control when he comes in. And the question is, will we invite him? And so, so our scripture says, they were willing. I struggled with that. They were willing for a long time. I struggled with that. These, these are seasoned fishermen out there. They might, have, they might have been able to say, they might have been able to say, well, you know, we've gotten through these storms before. We're gonna just, just please God, I'd rather do it myself. That way I can be in control. But we need to be more mature than that. And we need to say, with our church, with our country, with our personal situations, with our families, whatever, whatever situation we're dealing with, we need, we need to be able to say, Lord, please come in. Please come in. Not only come in, but take control. I cannot handle things myself. Things are not, I cannot do well myself. I cannot trust myself. Lord, come in. Take control. And that's what happens when Jesus comes in. And so he says, I stand at the door and knock. I think it's important for us as a church to invite Jesus in 
Yes, if Jesus comes in, we may lose some of our control because Jesus will take control. It's important that we invite him in, in our lives, our personal struggles, whatever they are. We cannot handle them on our own. We've got to have God to help us. We invite him to come in. In our marriages, in our families, in our, in our jobs, in our work, in the stuff that we have to put up with and the problems that we're dealing with every day of our lives, it's important that we ask Jesus to come in. We need to get Jesus in the boat with us. And the question is, will we see? He comes. He's there. He's knocking at the door. The question is, will we invite Jesus into our boat? That's the first step toward healing. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your love and your care. Thank you that in the midst of our storms, our problems, our hurts, our addictions, whatever it may be, our struggles, in the midst of our struggles, you come and you knock at the door. And you say to us that you're the Lord. You're the God of everything. And you can help us. Help us today, whatever our situation may be. Help us today to invite you into our situation and invite you into our boat. And help us deal and bring healing to us that we may go on with our lives. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing our altar call time, our invitation hymn. We're going to sing together. And uh, you may need to make a decision. You don't have to talk to me. You may come and kneel down here. Some folks did last Sunday. You may come and kneel down here at the front and talk to God. This is about responding to God right now. And we give you an opportunity to do that. You can do that where you're sitting. But some of you may need to come forward. And if you need to come forward, please come. Let's sing together. Thank you.